Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we're uh, making an, an, an effort, sounds like we're laboring to do this, but uh, with intention, trying to get a podcast recorded before the July 4th holiday. Uh, I know it's a week or a weekend that people take a couple days off and hopefully uh, try to give somebody a podcast to be able to download and enjoy in your uh, period away from the office. So this won't be the longest podcast that we do by any means, but uh, do want to jump in, get something recorded. Thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce for being the title sponsor of the Nolcast. Fantastic partner they've been uh, to us and uh, just a fantastic sponsor uh, of a of a podcast that uh, they kind of took a took a leap of faith with originally. So uh, great for them to continue to be with us. Uh, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and always want to begin the Nolcast with a tip of the hat to the uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce folk. Hopefully we will bring it hot tonight. I'm, I'm excited about this episode and uh, with good reason because Florida State quarterback Jeff Sims doing pretty well at the Elite 11. Now, Ingram, I, I know we've, we've probably talked about this before. I, I've, I've been watching some of the throws on Twitter. Obviously, I'm on paternity leave. I'm not at the Elite 11 this year. It's the first year and I don't know, a, a long time uh, that I've not been to it. It's an event I always enjoy going to. The, the access has kind of gotten pro- progressively worse over the years, and this year they didn't have the finals out there in L.A., which is what I really enjoyed because you're able to, A, you get to go to L.A. as opposed to like Frisco, Texas, which no offense to any listeners in Frisco. I'm guessing that's not a major market for us. Uh, but L.A. is much cooler than like a Dallas, you know, kind of cookie-cutter suburb. Um, you got a lot more interaction with the kids. You got to see a lot more stuff. When they do it now at Jerry World, which is where it is, at the star, the, the practice complex there for the Dallas Cowboys – which happened after the uh, Lead 11 company got bought uh, by Jerry Jones' company, and thus it got moved to Dallas. Uh, you, you don't get to see quite as much, but but I've been enjoying watching a couple of the videos online. Sims is showing what we really, I think, said for the most part that he's good at, right? It, he has a big arm. Uh, he, he's not afraid to make the big-time throw. Sometimes he can be a little bit erratic. Uh, the processing speed needs to continue to improve with him, which we think it will. Uh, looks like a pretty good fit for what Kendall Bryles wants to do. He's also pretty athletic. That's not his main trait, but he continues to fill out, get bigger, stronger, while, while still you know being a, a decent runner. N- not somebody. I'm not saying he's like a great runner, but he's not somebody who labors to, to get around the pocket and, and who can't escape if he has some pressure, which is really what they're going to ask him to do at Florida State and. Uh, Look, I, I don't put a whole lot into the Elite 11 because it, you're not getting hit. Nobody's rushing you. I, I, I want to see more in a game state. Now, on the flip side, there are some benefits to being there. And to me, the main thing is getting to compare a lot of elite-level kids against each other. Really sorts to help you figure out stuff. It puts stuff into tears. You know, saying, okay, I, this kid does look better than this kid in person. Or, ooh, watching this guy's motion... Yeah, it, it does look a little bit out of place. Or, or more importantly, watching this guy's ball. You know, I, I thought that actually with DeAndre Johnson back in the day. It just it looked a little bit a little bit less zip on it than some of those other, other guys had. Uh, I, I would caution listeners maybe, and then we'll see if you agree with me on this, but I don't know that being in the top half of the Elite 11 guarantees you anything. But I will tell you that that – if if you struggle at this event, and in my mind, I'm just going over guys who definitely struggled in the past. Man, your your college chances are not that great. 
And I think a lot of that is just, hey, you're struggling in an event where nobody's rushing the passer and you're getting to throw to some of the best receivers in the nation. If you And hell, now it's indoors. There's no wind. There, there's no water. It, it's pretty much tailor-made for you to be a great quarterback. If you struggle in this event badly, I do think there, there's the chance of you being a great college quarterback are, are, are not great. Um, but what do you think about, about Sims? You've been watching the videos on Twitter? Yeah, I've seen some, and uh, you're right. There's there's limited extrapolations that you can take from that. But I've been uh, enthused by what he's put out there. And look, it's a guy that uh, has an awful lot of physical skills, continues to get kind of confirmed for those who maybe doubted him or, or doubted because of a star ranking, uh, appears to be absolute the, the leader that you want of a program. I, I think what we said originally continues to be true. Florida State really, I don't want to say lucked into something because they weren't lucky, but a very, very fortunate kid that they were able to tie themselves to uh, for for numerous circumstances, uh, not, not the least of which he's a very good quarterback who continues to improve upon his uh, decision making and I think uh, I think if you're Florida State you got to be real happy with with the fact that you have Sims in the class and continues to be a a bell cow and also continues to go to events like these and make a name for himself so uh, also uh, not to be repetitive but completely agree with you that uh, elite 11 slash seven on sometimes is is uh, I'm 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 more scared than I am uh positive as far as what I take away from that where I think there's more holes to see in people's game than necessarily uh, there's more negatives to take away than positive extrapolations from watching people do that and uh, particularly as you mentioned it's now as sterile an environment as you can find so uh, if you can't if you can't do well in something like that then you're either uh, physically limited or maybe you're maybe you're letting your nerves get the best to you because you're at a a national event that has a about as much of a cachet as one of these kind of high school camps has. You know, I also think that taking 18 kids is too many at the quarterback position. I, I would take 12. The problem is if you take 12, it's very hard to t- do the cut down to the lead 11 because then you're basically just cutting one dude, right? And nobody wants to be the one guy cut, uh, which which makes sense as to why why they take the 18. Um, you know, they have six, seven on teams, and, and they can put three quarterbacks per team. I don't think that's really that 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 great of a thing to do, though. Um, you know, I, I look back at the 2015 Elite 11, one that I was at. So here are the finalists, right? The 18 kids. Let me know which of these guys you, you, you think really turned out to be pretty good, okay? Jack Allison, Woody Barrett, Anthony Brown Jr., Zarek Cooper, Messiah DeWeaver, Jet Duffy, Seth Green, Jalen Hurts, Austin Kendall, Derek King, Kai Neves, Jamie Newman, Patrick O'Brien, Jawan Pass, Nick Starkle, Dylan Sterling Cole, Chaz Surratt, Skyler Thompson, Jason Biak. Yikes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of kids who don't have a whole lot of name recognition with me or I imagine a lot of our listeners. That's, uh, yeah, obviously the Hurts kid stands out and for good reason, but not necessarily that of what you would associate with a uh, traditional production from the quarterback position. So uh, a limited class, definitely, and, and too too many kids uh, being taken to these things per year as well. Yeah, uh, if we go back to uh, 2014, kind of a lot of the same, man, to be honest. I mean, we had Alex Malzone, 
Brian Lewerke, DeAndre Johnson, Ross Bowers, Ryan Brand, Sam Darnold, Sharon Jones. Sam Darnold, actually, who was a guy who was hurt a lot. We didn't get to see a whole lot of him. You know, honestly, man, like, most of those guys didn't turn out to do a damn thing. You know? The the dudes who actually made the final 11, Blake Barnett, DeAndre Francois, Ben Hicks, Travis Johnson, Drew Locke, Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen, Jarrett Stidham, Ricky Town, Brady White, Brandon Wimbush. There is a decent example there of, look, being in the finals does not, or being one of the 11 finalists, like final finalists, does not necessarily guarantee you're going to be good. But a lot of those guys ended up being pretty good, right? I mean, we had number one pick Kyler Murray. You had Drew Locke, Francois, up and down career. Josh Rosen, really good career at UCLA, given what was around him. Jared Stidham got drafted, I think. But, man, just the, the guys at the bottom, their, their hit rate has been really low. So from that perspective, it is encouraging to see Jeff doing well out there. It's not a guarantee of success. It's definitely not a guarantee of early college career success. But it's certainly better uh, to see him do like up there than to see him, you know, at like number seventeen or something like that. That's uh, that's my thing, man. It just if you struggle in that kind of setting where there's really not a whole lot of pressure on you, I I, I wonder how well you're going to do in games. Although certain some guys have proved me wrong before. Going to pause ever so briefly here to uh, remind you of some of the things that our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group are doing. Uh, this one's actually being done by For the Table Hospitality, and that is the Fry Fest that they're doing. I love uh, some of the creativity that Matt and his team uh, put on just about everything that they do. This has been picked up by some national media outlets uh, as just a kind of hilarious takeoff on uh, one of the more uh, just hilariously inept uh Things that have been tried to pull off in the past couple of years in a, uh, a recent fire fest there that has provided all kinds of incredible documentaries and some uh, moments that pop culture will seemingly hold on to for a while when it comes to securing bottled water and other things. But uh, will they, this will one, they have bathrooms? Yes, yes, they they will have bathrooms. This is an, an immersive fried potato festival spanning three restaurants in a not-so-secluded area of Tallahassee. Uh, best in straight fries, curly fries, waffle fries, and adventure. Uh, on the boundaries of unlimited sampling, fry is an experience and a festival. Welcome to French Fry Fest. Brilliant. Absolutely now, are you talking brilliant. about dipping sauces? Yeah, so uh, going to be going on Saturday, July 13th. Uh, unlimited French Five Festival. Each location that those locations being Madso Township and Centrale uh, will feature a different style of fry. Uh, have different unique versions, and uh, that's twelve different French fries in total with uh, various dipping sauces and uh, accoutrements. So, uh, fantastic opportunity there. Support of sponsor. Not a whole lot of things going on at times in Tallahassee here in the dead of summer and ask that you please do keep our friends in mind. Uh, Tickets, $25. Uh, You can find more at uh, eventbrite.com and just search FryFest, F-R-Y-E. Maybe they'll make a documentary about it. It's possible. Have you seen that, by the way? I have, yes. It's it's kind of like on my on my queue on Netflix to watch, and I just have not hit play yet. And it's, one of these uh, nights, I wouldn't necessarily put it at the top of your list, but it is something to watch just to appreciate the stupidity of humanity and how we all get sucked into taking part in a lot of dumb stuff. 
I was thinking if I ever like lose this job or quit this job, I could just become an influencer. Right. I already have the followers on Twitter and I've got the blue check mark. You know, I could easily just just go and influence away. Go to Chernobyl, bud. Take photos of places like that. Ooh, okay. I'm 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 gonna watch that one as well. All right, bud. Florida State received two commitments uh, since we've last talked, and uh, we'll get to those kids quickly here. But do want to mention one prospect that has, uh, at least for now, declared his intention to go uh, elsewhere. Michael Redding is a, uh, a big, talented, athletic wide receiver that Florida State at times, uh, I think, thought they had a pretty good chance of uh, getting an ultimate commitment from. Uh, his ranking varies a little bit depending on where you look, and but I'll let you give your opinion as to where you think he may fall uh, nationally. But a kid that Florida State definitely wanted, a kid that is a, a, a large, a big-time prospect, uh, IMG kid who ultimately, at least for now, has uh, made his declaration to play at Miami. Yeah, I like Michael a lot. He's a good player. Um, Top-end speed is okay. It's not amazing. He's a thicker-build kid. He's not super long, but but he, he's, he's 6'1", like legitimate. He's not one of these 5'11 guys who says he's 6'1". He's just not – not 6'3 or 6'4. Um, on the composite, he's a top 200 kid, number 35 receiver in the nation. I, I think he might be a little bit better than that, actually. Uh, Rivals has him as the number six receiver in the nation. To me, that is a little bit too high uh, by, I don't know, maybe double-digit spots. Uh, this is a kid, like, like we talked about on the last show. Notre Dame thought that, that Florida State or Purdue uh, were going to beat them out. Obviously, Florida State being the hometown school uh, and, and having a need – at the receiver position and an ability to pitch early playing time uh, to him and to stay close to home. Purdue having a great engineering program. Engineering, like I said, Michael's a bright kid. That's what he wants to do. And Florida State, unfortunately, does not have uh, engineering. Their partnership is with uh, is with FAM. So that is you know seen as a negative oftentimes by players. I'm not, I'm not sure that Michael saw that as a direct negative, but it is nice if your school can actually pitch engineering. Uh, I don't often run up like against receiver recruits who want to be engineers, but it does happen, I guess, occasionally. And, and this is one of those times. Uh, so I think Florida State was going to beat out Purdue for Redding. Um, however, as I've read recently, apparently Redding's father was a pretty big Miami uh, fan. And Miami does have engineering. So follow the tea leaves here, right? Brian Robinson decommits from Miami. He's likely to follow Ron Dugans to Florida State, assuming Florida State uh, wants to take him, and I assume that that they do, uh, as far as I know. Well, now Miami needs a receiver. Miami actually has engineering. They turn up the heat on him, and they get a very quick commitment out of Reading after, I believe, just just one visit. So putting the pieces together here, and I've not talked to Michael because, like I said, I'm on paternity leave. I'm not doing a ton of this stuff right now. You look at this. It does seem like Miami to him could have been the best of both worlds, right? I get to stay close to home. I get to stay in Florida. I don't. I, I still get to play big time football. I don't have to go to Purdue in order to pursue my major, and I like the coaches there. I can go be an engineer while still playing big time football. Up until this point, he really didn't have that option because it didn't seem like Miami was that all in on him, and the commitment surprised honestly everybody. It surprised Florida State's coaches. It surprised Notre Dame's coaches. It surprised – I don't have a coach at Purdue. I know somebody in there. It, it surprised some people I know at Purdue. Um, and it surprised all the Miami writers. Nobody put in the pick, as far as I know, for uh, for Redding uh, to Miami. 
And it was a pretty big surprise. I had had my crystal ball on, on Florida State for him since, I think, 2017 or 2018. And so if Florida State fails to close him out, I do think that, you know, if we're talking a month ago, we said, hey, they get Redding and Robinson stays with Miami, or they get Robinson and Redding goes to Miami. Is it really that big of a difference? Probably not. I, I don't really think that they're both kind of similar players, to be honest. Redding's a little bit thicker. Robinson might be a little bit faster. And uh, so Miami ends up getting a pretty good one from IMG, a school that Florida State has worked hard uh, to be good at. But I think the quickness of this commitment to Miami, right? I mean, they they turn up the heat just pretty quickly, and all of a sudden, bam, he commits. And I don't think that was when he was planning to commit at all. Uh, really shows how much he did want to do the combination of, of staying in Florida and also having the engineering option. Yeah, it's an interesting look. Uh, Miami's got a nice little recruiting class uh, with the local prospect Fleming and then the Restrepo kid out of Deerfield Beach. So uh, good, good for them, and we'll see if uh, we'll see if Redding is is ultimately part of the class. But he does sound like a he sounds like somebody who's maybe more likely than not to uh, stick with his commitment. But uh, like like we mentioned, two kids committed to Florida State uh, over the past seven days. Uh, both of them come from fairly significant programs, uh, a couple of three-star kids who maybe are uh, certainly not the, the top name on the list of uh, people that you would look for to uh, to commit. But uh, Florida State receives a kid uh, from IMG, Alex uh, Octavich. How would you pronounce that? Exactly? I think it's but, at, I'm going to call him at Cabbage. At Cabbage. Okay. At Cabbage. And then uh, something, uh, a pronunciation that I can most certainly handle here, one Carter Boatwright uh, from a, a program that Florida State fans have gotten very familiar with recently. Uh, Moultrie, Georgia, Colquitt County, a uh, kid who is currently a tight end, also committed. So, uh, like I said, not exactly the most known of commodities, but uh, we'll talk about the kids and then also a little bit of a discussion as to how we feel about some of these uh, lesser-known kind of hidden gems and Florida State staff's ability to make an evaluation that wasn't necessarily on par with some of the other larger programs of college football right now. Right. So I'm going to start with that cabbage, and then I'll let you talk more about boat rights. Sound good? Please. All right. So with that cabbage, I, I texted somebody there. I said, hey, like, give me the scoop on a, someone at IMG. Right. I said, give me the scoop on, on that cabbage because I, I had read a little bit about him. I'd watched his film. It does not look like he's playing good football at all. Or excuse me, good football competition. Um, he was going to commit to Rutgers, I think. Several schools were, were in on him. I know Auburn was looking at him as well. So he's a guy who I know some big schools knew about. I just think that they, they did not pull the trigger for an offer. Florida State was definitely the first uh, first big school, really. Not P5 because Rutgers is P5, but come on, it's Rutgers, uh, to pull the trigger and end up getting his commitment. Now, that Cabbage had, I think he tweeted this at, at some point, I went back and looked, that he had lost 65 pounds since his freshman year. And if you Google it, you can actually Google the kid's name and uh, you will see that he used to be pretty sloppy fat, right? Like a lot of baby fat plus some. And now he's got the beard thing. He's, he's kind of got the glow up going and, and, uh, and he's actually... A lot skinnier now. Not not skinny in a bad way, but he's trim. You know, he looks like a guy who is, I don't know, 270-something with the room to put on the good weight. More athletic now. 
um, does play hard. So my, my guy at IMG said, hard worker, big upside, lunch pail type kid, very smart. You know what? I don't have a problem with that. Florida State needs to attack their offensive line problem with numbers. Now, does Alex Cabbage project as an offensive tackle or as a guard? I think you can pretty safely project him as a guard with some potential offensive tackle upside, but I can't give this real high marks because he's not a guy who, to me, projects as a, a for sure tackle. Although the counter to that would probably be that in this offense, you don't necessarily need quite as many prototypical tackle types just based on, on looking at what Baylor had done before. Uh, although I kind of think this four-guard offense idea is more you know message board fan you know like like, like fanfic than um, uh, th- th- than it is fa- you know fact. I'm okay with the take. Again, if if he's the the second best offensive lineman you take in this class, then we're going to be talking about a different coaching staff in come come two three years. But uh, but if he's the fourth or fifth best offensive lineman you take in this year's class, I don't have any problem with it. It's another, it's another kid at IMG, and you're going to get another chance to evaluate him in the summer. And I think that's the key, right? He's now having a step up in competition at IMG. You want to see how he does there at IMG's practices. You want to see how, how he integrates, how he plays against better competition. And you're going to get to see him in your Saturday night light, or Friday Night Lights camp, whatever they're going to call it this year, right, against elite competition. Now, will he do great against elite competition? Probably not because it's going to be the first time he's gone against it. But if he can hold his own some – that they may really have something. And they have had a decent history, and we'll discuss this in a minute, of getting on some kids for – uh, I don't want to say that. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I don't have a problem with this take. I would just say if, if you watch some of his tape, right, don't get overwhelmed because the quality of competition he's playing is is not good. You know, there, There's a decent chance that, that Ingram and I could strap up some pads and, and be starters on some of those teams. Not good starters because we're old, but just, you know, starters. We're old and washed. Absolutely. Yeah. One one schedule that I would want absolutely no part of uh, is is that of what Colquitt County plays. Uh, so we'll transition our conversation to Carter Boat right here. Uh, Colquitt County, bud, and we won't bore people with tons of high school football discussion, but let me just run by their non-region schedule for you this year. Uh, North Gwinnett, who's one of the state champion, one of the better teams in uh, in Georgia football. Um, Grayson, who most teams, most fans will be familiar with just from a recruiting perspective. Trinity Christian out of uh, out of Florida, and uh, Valdosta, which is actually a formerly a, a regional game that they've scheduled as well. So, um, and then in addition, they play in Region One which is the the most challenging region, in my opinion, of, of all of Georgia football uh, at the 7A classification. So a guy that uh, Florida State fans will get a chance to see in some high-profile high school games, a guy that you won't have to question his tape. He'll play at about consistently as high a level as you'll be able to evaluate any prospect. Um, I think it's kind of... Uh, Somewhat stereotypical to look at a look at a, a Caucasian tight end and immediately project him to maybe growing into a tackle. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a case, but I wouldn't necessarily rule it out either. Talked to two different coaches uh, since Boatwright's commitment. Coaches that uh, coach in Region One uh, down there, and uh, t- 
two different guys who thought exceptionally highly of this kid, uh, just from a player and what he was able to bring to that uh, Colquitt County team. So I know he's a three-star. I know he's not necessarily going to appear at the top of too many recruiting lists. Uh, but at least at this point, I think uh, I think Florida State's done a decent job here. And again, we're talking about bringing in like three-star tight ends and kickers and things like that. But they do very much appear to have developed some type of relationship uh, there at Colquitt County, and that's you know nothing nothing too bad can come from that. I, I totally agree. Uh, I actually talked to a scout who was at FSU's camp, and uh, he said he actually liked the kid a whole lot. It's clear that he was not their first choice, uh, but there is some reason to believe that he has maybe a little bit more upside than his ranking suggests. Um, if you watch him, he's a tough kid. He does block a lot. I agree with you. I do not think he's going to become an offensive tackle. He's a guy who you can use as a good blocker who can catch some short routes. He's probably not going to run a whole lot of deep, whole lot of deep routes for you. Um, that's a really good program to be in on. I'm totally okay. Uh, with, with, with them taking Carter Brotwright. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a pretty good player uh, for them. So, yes, we're discussing Florida State taking, as of now, the two lowest-rated kids in their class. But I'm actually kind of okay with both as, as long as they you know, are, are not sort of your new ceiling. Because if they are, then, then you're in big-time trouble. Certainly. Um, so a, a kid, again, you'll be able to see him, be able to make your own decision uh, if you so choose. Uh, but a, a guy that's got decent measurables and uh, plays at a, a real high level and not uh, – you don't get to play many snaps in Region 1A if you're not a tough uh, a tough son of a gun. So I, I never doubt anybody's question for our toughness from that part of the state. And uh, a lot of time to develop as a player, and we'll see what happens. Um, so let's do have the conversation here real briefly. Kind of started to get into it just about kind of how much faith right now we put in this staff's ability to evaluate kids and uh, if the, you know, whether or not we should look at uh, their other offers and draw our own conclusions or have confidence that this is a staff that's seeing things and has the ability to see things in kids that maybe other programs haven't. Well, I think there were some good examples last year, right? Uh, they were in on Nick Cross uh, when I'm not sure that Nick Cross was actually a take at Bama and a take at Georgia. And they, they liked him a whole lot, went on him and, you know, obviously got him for a while. And then he ends up flipping to Maryland because they went five and seven. And uh, that's kind of understandable. But that, that to me is a feather in their cap. Now, the other Cross, Charles Cross, I'm not sure that the people who evaluated him are, are still on Florida State staff. So I give them credit for that. Maybe they should receive continuing credit for that. Obviously, they didn't land him either, but they, they were in on him in on him pretty early. Um, they got in on Dante Lucas early. That was the thing that obviously Telly knew about Dante a whole lot. Uh, but you know, there are some other guys who, who I know that they, they got in on. Kalen Deloach, right, what was a player who they got in on very early and – showed some love for him and, and he ended up sticking, you know, sticking to the program. Um, there's some other guys who, you know, maybe they, they were not in on that early. And I, I think I'm okay with their evaluation at this point. Like I don't see a whole lot of guys who they've evaluated who I'm just like, Oh man, this kid is just absolutely terrible. There's no way they should have taken him at all. Um, you know, there's maybe a Juco, uh, but again, that was kind of a desperation situation. <laughs> Uh, right there. I'm, I'm looking through the list of guys they've signed so far. 
and I and I really haven't seen anybody who they went after, as in not previous staff, who you know gets on campus and you're like, this guy just is absolutely garbage and will never ever play. Um, so so far it seems to be at, at least looking okay. You know, um, again, that's probably a good thing for for the recruiting situation. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think it's hard to say exactly. I think I will also give them credit for, um, uh, I don't know if this is an evaluation as much as it is just a strategic uh, ability to identify a walk-on at running back last year and not use a scholarship on that. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've showed the ability to be creative and have some kids in. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if at Cavage or, or Boatwright, what they turn into and some other kids in this class uh, that will give us a better idea. And then there's, you know, some kids in last year's class, a couple linebackers that come to mind, uh, that they, they got in on and we'll, uh, ultimately something at this point, we just kind of have to hypothesize on is we don't really have a whole lot of track record to, uh, determine how, how good they've been and kind of finding some of these undervalued kids out there. Now, look, I will say this with that cabbage, right? If he shows up to Friday night lights and it's just absolutely terrible and just can't handle a higher level of competition, that's a pretty easy drop to make, right? Because it's like, okay, well, the kid's going to – if that were to happen with any kid who's committed to you, if he shows up to your camp and he can't handle the quality of competition at your camp, oftentimes that's going to be something where it's like, okay, well, I, I probably better find a place that fits my abilities a little bit more closely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's got to be a, a slice of humility that's probably maybe a little bit easier to explain to a kid than otherwise. Um News, we won't spend a ton of time on this, but uh, it's just more an inclination as to where we are in the year. And then, in fact, we are getting through summer and football is uh, ever so closely approaching. But uh, names for Florida State's representation at the ACC annual meetings came out today. Uh, Marvin Wilson and Marion Terry are the two that will be going from uh, Florida State's side. I don't know if there's a whole lot to make of this other than Marvin Wilson continues to kind of carve out himself in a little bit more of a leadership role. Slightly surprised by uh, Terry's name on there, but I don't necessarily have any problem with it. I don't know who you would have taken in lieu of him, but uh, those are the two that Florida State will be sending up to uh, and, you know, field a lot of repetitive questions from different people. And uh, it's it's having gone to these things, it's not necessarily a ton of fun for the student athletes that get named to these things. I'll, I will say that for our general listener base. I guess it's nice that they go to Greensboro, uh, Greensboro for a night and don't have to come out of pocket for much, but it's not really a fun time either. No, but you, you got to go up to Greensville and you got to talk to a bunch of media members like us, and and that's no fun. It used to be really cool because they would have the coaches' media golf tournament, and I think in some years they had some players playing that, but I don't, I don't even think they had that golf tournament anymore. You know, and it's it's become it's become much more corporate, which I think is the wrong direction to move that that event in. Um, you know, I, I like the reason why a lot of people, a lot of media will go actually to the ACC and not to the SEC is because the SEC a We'll just let in anybody, literally. Anybody. Uh, anybody. Yeah. Like, like, and I'm not talking about like, oh, this guy's a blogger. No, I'm talking about like <laughs> this guy, you know, gets the microphone as a quote unquote media member and tells Coach Saban how much he loves him. You know, it, it's hard to get any kind of one-on-one access. The ACC of the old days, the, the media thing was great, man. You could go and, um, you know, you could really like 
get some great one-on-one access with, with, with guys. I actually, uh, my relationship with, with Monk Bonasart totally turned around after AC Media Days and I think 2010 or 2011, it, he really did not like me for a time. Mm-hmm. And then I was, uh, what happened there? I think I was waiting on a cab or something to go over to the hotel from the airport and we had never met in person. And he's like, hey, you're, you're Bud Elliott, right? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up becoming, you know, like pretty pretty cordial with each other. And uh, he's like, what? Just, I'll, I'll drive you over. I'm going to the same place. Let's let, let's just talk and, and figure this out. Like, all right, let's do it. And uh, ended up ended up being a, a good good dude to go to and somebody really cared about the university. But nowadays, it's just, it's very corporate. Um, you know, like you get the players for, for a certain period of time and then, then it's kind of done. Like you don't really see the players and the coaches just hanging out, you know, for interviews, just, you know, kind of shooting the breeze like you used to, which, hey, how many, how many national championships has this conference produced in the last couple of years? How many, how many national finalists? How many playoff teams? It makes some sense that the interest in this event now is greater and that there's going to be a little bit, little bit less access. But, uh, yeah, it used to be a really cool thing. And, and congratulations to Tamari and, and, and to Marvin um, for getting invited. Those are going to be good interviews, I think. Tamarian, you really have to listen closely to what he's saying. Uh, Marvin is hilarious, especially yep. if you get him if you get him kind of loosened up. Like I've talked to him on the sidelines a lot at recruiting events. He's a good interview. I don't know that he's quite as good on camera because he's maybe a little bit a little bit more guarded as far as what he says. But uh, yeah, man, he, he's he's a good player to interview for sure. And I think the guy, the guys who will go um, will enjoy talking to them. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, the ACC meeting is is the exact opposite of the SEC meetings. It's uh, it's from a radio perspective, like they used to guarantee you, you'd, you'd have a schedule as to who you were getting. You weren't necessarily like chasing after coaches and getting cussed out by SIDs or anything else. It was just a much more, uh, it was just a much more professionally run individual uh, times. And the way that it was structured, uh, they've lost a, a slight amount of uh, the access, as you mentioned there. You don't necessarily have guaranteed uh, time in front of everybody, but that's going to happen, as you mentioned, with the increased media attention and then also the just the league continuing to grow uh, in the, its following. So uh, in ACC meetings, always interesting. Uh, we'll try to do our best to bring you as much information as possible and uh, the limited amount of information that come out of those things. Uh, but that'll be a conversation in a couple of weeks here. All right, Ingram, I want to tell you about our friends at Resolution Home Loans. That's Shannon and Chad. Shannon is the best loan guy in the business. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com, you'll get hooked up with the best guys in the business, right? Get the best rates, get the best service, get that personalized Knowles approach. They want to make sure that you get your loan at the right terms and they want to get it to you fast. That's the feedback we've had. These guys get back to you super quick, right? And it's not not some impersonal approach of an app. They actually walk you through the process. They say, hey, here's what I can come up with on this. But if you do this, we could possibly do this. Do you have any other questions about this? I have a couple other options if you want to hear them. If not, we can go with this. It's awesome. Take your time or let's move fast. Your call as, as the person who's going to be getting the house. We want to get you into a new home today or maybe a refinance. 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Check them out. 
But as we kind of wrap it up, we'll, uh, again, not spend a ton of time on this, but uh, there was a Matt Baker article out in the past two days or so that touched on a topic that I think we've uh, been fairly consistent on, and that is uh, the idea of Willie Taggart's job security and Florida State's finances uh, and how those two are, are very closely tied together. Uh, absent, I've said this for a while, absent a season that has maybe a win total of two, maybe three, but probably two. I don't see any way that Willie Taggart loses his job after this year. Uh, it's just financially not a feasible operation, or it's not a financially feasible uh, idea. And now that more information is starting to come out uh, from some of the earlier booster board meetings, uh, things that we were able to hint at or allude to uh, seem to be becoming more fact uh, just a, not an athletic department in a place to write a bunch of checks for people not to work. And uh, whether or not that's a good thing, uh, you can make your own decision up as far as how it's tied to Willie Taggart's job security. But facts are the facts. And again, absent some kind of apocalyptic scenario where Florida State has one win, uh, I just don't see a path where we're talking about replacing a head coach anytime soon. Really? Uh, and nor should it be. Right, like I, I don't like this idea where we only give guys two or three years to turn a program around. And now that you know, and now that the rest of the country knows, by the way, of of what a mess that the former staff left this thing in, I think you do deserve four years as long as you are doing things that show, you know, some measure of progress. Um, I agree with you fully. I, I, even if he were to go, like, let's say Willie were to miss a bowl game for a second straight year, I still think he's fine for twenty twenty. Now, I think you can start talking about 2021 if they were to go 5-7 and seven again with this schedule. But seriously, when you think about the need for patience and also like the literal need for financial patience, he's fine. He's not going anywhere. Florida State's uh, athletics higher-ups have basically told everyone, like, this is ultimately a storm that they think they can weather, which is kind of what you have to say, but uh, a storm that they're going to have to – kind of try to go through over the next 18 months or so and a buyout is is not part of the plan and really isn't there uh absent some large sums of money that have not otherwise been reported or have not been made public uh which i wouldn't count on i think that uh coach taggart's gonna have a, a decent amount of time here and uh as you mentioned that's probably the way it should be uh but for all intents and purposes it's simply the way it is due to due to Florida State's current financial situation. All right. Uh, let's listener questions, maybe. Open up the mailbag a little bit. Mailbag time comes uh, originally from Tom. Tom asks, which current players besides Akers, Terry, and Wilson would be sure things to make the two deep on the 2010, 2011, 2015, and 2016 rosters? I imagine 2010 and 2016 would be the cl- would be the closest years to have spots for anyone besides the three I previously mentioned, but wanted to hear what you two had to say on it. Okay. Uh, well, you want to just go position by position? I think that's fair. All right. Uh, quarterback. 2015, I will take James Blackman over uh, Everett Golson or Sean McGuire. You disagree? I do not. All right. So that's one. Uh, would he play, have played in tw- – now, Ponder was pretty good when he was healthy. 2011 was – that was EJ's first full year. 
Yes. He was not that good. He he wasn't, but in I twenty eleven. Yeah, I'm not. But taking I don't think it's clear. Over EJ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Acres. Let me see. Acres in twenty ten. Yeah, he's starting right. Who was their leading rusher in twenty ten? Is it Chris Thompson? It, uh, I'm trying to think. What, what year did Thompson get really hurt? So that was twenty. That was twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Right. NC or, State. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, twenty ten. Well, our leading rusher was Chris Thompson, but he only had only had eight hundred yards. That was like that was like true freshman Chris Thompson. That was that was a Ty Jones, Jermaine Thomas. Ty Jones, the nickname we no longer say because yeah. things are less sensitive or more sensitive now. <laughs> Uh, clearly, it was an all timer um, though. Yeah, uh, I think he starts on the 2010 team. So Thompson, it, obviously the 2012, and then he sustained uh, the injury that he came back from in 2012, which was the back injury. Which what is that a 2011 injury or is that the end of yeah, 2010? Yeah, so I think he got hurt. He had to have gotten hurt in 2011, and then it, he hurt his back in 2011, if I recall right. Yeah, yeah. And then we're like, we don't know how much he's going to play again. And then he comes back, and he's like, like, like Barry Bonds level yeah, recovery, like the, and the best player on the field against Clemson. It's we, we just made looks like he's in, jokes for months. Yeah, yeah, he looks like he's playing in fast forward, um, and he's jacked all of a sudden, like crazy jacked. And we're like, oh, okay, uh, huh, all right, awesome. Uh, and then he then he does hurt his knee against NC State. So I'm going to take Cam Akers on that 2010 team, um, and. 2011, 2011 was freshman Devontae Freeman, but he only had 500 yards. So I, I don't. Uh, he was not amazing that year. Jermaine Thomas was their second leading rusher. I, I think I'll probably take Acres in in, in 2010, 2011. Tamari um, and Terry would have played on all of those teams. Pretty sure. Yeah, I'm not in disagreement there. I'm trying to think about who they're like receiving wise. Okay, Rashad Green had 500 something yards in 2011. Uh, Burt Reed was the leading receiver in 2010, so check check. Travis Rudolph was their best receiver in 2015. Yeah, Terry would play on that team for sure. And uh, same deal in 2016. So yeah, I'll, I'll take Terry uh, on those. As far as the second receiver, not entirely sure. I mean. Maybe DJ gets some run, but again, he hasn't produced yet, so I'm not comfortable saying that uh, just yet, unless you are. No, no. Trey no. McKitty, who was their tight end? Was it was 2010 Relford? It was Bo Relford. Yeah, it was still Bo. Yeah, Look, making, Trey making McKitty's a better player than Bo Relford. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, all right, moving on. Oh, was there any other years Trey McKitty would would have started for sure? Trent Kitty. Uh, Nick O'Leary as a freshman had 12 catches for a buck 64. He was just so small as a freshman. I, I think McKitty would have given him a pretty good run for his money. Yeah. As far as players outside of these three that might have pushed for playing time, uh, honestly, the only ones that I, I think maybe – Maybe Samuels the third and 
Minshew would have if he's healthy on on that 2011 yeah. line. Yeah, I think Samuel's the third and Samuel Jr. Because hey, that's always fun to delineate. But uh, I, I would say those two kids are probably the only ones on this roster that uh, that I would say might have gotten some snaps on those teams. I think I agree. If if Kando stays healthy, uh, oh no, Corey Durden definitely would have. Yeah, Durden, you're right. Um, I can't. I can't go there with Kane Doe quite yet. And just to, way too. Yeah, because he hasn't done a damn thing. Yeah. Uh, who were their backers in sixteen? Didn't didn't they? Have, I'm trying to remember who the linebackers were in 2016. A lot of these years kind of run together for me. I don't know if they do for you now. We they just, do. We've been doing this for so long. Absolutely. So 2016, uh, the linebackers: Roderick Hoskins, uh, Matthew Thomas. Jacob Pugh wasn't 2016 the year with the damn uh, Showtime? Yeah. Or was that 2015? Mm. No, that was 15. That was 16. That was 15. Oh, it was? Wait. Well, all right. So Bama's 17. Showtime. Yeah, Showtime is Jesus. This is this is embarrassingly hard to figure out. Showtime was Francois, not Golson, right? Yes. Okay, then then Showtime is sixteen because Francois was not the QB in fifteen. Okay, um, I think you're probably right. Maybe Dontavious Jackson plays on some of those teams. Lars would be get some starter. snaps too. Yes, uh, definitely. Sure. That's a name that I should have included. And, and I can't totally rule out Asante. Or excuse me, uh, Levante. If he were to come back healthy and do something, we'll, we'll see if he does. Um, I, I'm not not real convinced of that. So that's kind of a little rundown there. Uh, offensive line wise, uh, not a whole lot, not a whole lot, man. <laughs> no, no. Good question, though. It's a good question and uh, uh, a unique one, which is not always easy to uh, to throw at us in this stage of the game. Uh, Mr. Blake asks, not considering. Any offensive lineman, which player who at this point you would not expect to be a major contributor, would you most like to see prove you wrong and make a huge impact? Ooh, not considering so, offensive so he's, line. So he's taking away the offensive line. Okay. Man, that is taking away a, uh, a difficult yeah. thing. Okay, uh, well, I have my answer. Yeah, I think I do too. Uh, go on. Does he play receiver? No, mine's going to be anyone who plays defensive end. Oh, okay. Uh, so, are you going to go with Janarius Robinson? Kando, Robinson, okay. anybody. I'm going to go with Keith Gavin. Mm. Because I don't expect him to do anything. I just I don't have confidence he can catch the ball. But, like, from a pure, like, top-end athletic talent standpoint, he's a freak, man. And if they could ever get him right, and, and I mean, a couple staffs have tried now, and it's just not happened. But if they can get him right, that'd be really scary to have him and, and Terry on the outside. But I think pragmatically, your answer is better because <laughs> you know they're already okay at receiver. They, they really do need somebody, anybody, to rush the passer. All right, uh, uh, Nicholas asks. Yeah, oh, good question here. All right, I'll, I'll ask you, and, and you, you lead off with the answer on this one. The recent commitments from Alex uh, at Cabbage and Carter Boatwright of IMG and Colquitt County, respectively. Continue a trend in recruiting I've noticed for of establishing pipelines in certain areas in schools. Is Taggart making a more concerted effort to establish these pipelines as opposed to Jimbo? And is Taggart taking kids he otherwise would not in, ho- uh, 
he otherwise would not, in the hopes of developing a pipeline that might pay dividends in future classes. For example, Jimbo rarely signed Pensacola prospects while Taggart took a low three-star in Keyshawn Helton, which likely helped him sign Helton's teammate Darius Washington in the following class. Any insight, we much appreciate it. Nicholas, we appreciate the question, and uh, you know, we always love when you send us questions. Nolcast at gmail.com. Um, okay, so I, I I don't think many people have any aspirations of pipelining IMG. That's just not not going to happen, at least in the traditional sense of a, of a pipeline. Got fans too many do kids. message boards. Say again? Uh, message board fans, Ingram, have, have many aspirations of this. Uh, yeah, well, you shouldn't. Um, it, for so many different reasons. Most notably, the amount of kids that come through that school. And also, it's not a traditional school in the sense of like a, like your seventh grader is looking up to the the junior or senior in high school is one of the best players in the country. And it's just, it's a different situation. Um, whereas if you're at Florida state and you're recruiting Lake city, Columbia in the, in the nineties and you're, um, you know, you're, you're recruiting Kendall Pope while Jerome Carter is an eighth grader and watches the process play out and, uh, maybe makes that easier. Maybe Kendall Pope is an eighth grader and watches you uh, go in and get Renard Wilson out of there, etc. Um, I just don't see that ever coming about. Colquitt County, maybe slightly different, but Colquitt County, is a, uh, we've talked about it before. It's a program that's made football big emphasis over the past 10 years or so as uh, surged to, to prominence, has hired uh, people like Rush Pope's. You're going to have a hard time doing that, but it's a little bit more possible. And I do think Florida State's making a concerted effort to have a presence there. Uh, but Jimbo liked that school as well. It's where you got Cam Irving, and it's, it's it was not it was not an unknown quantity on on Jimbo Fisher's staff. I can a thousand percent tell you that uh, with certainty. So uh, I don't know that Taggart's necessarily going out looking to develop pipelines, but. Uh, uh, it's never a bad thing. And look, reestablishing any type of presence in Pensacola would be nice because for all, again, for all intents and purposes, you basically just seeded anything west of Quincy uh, to to Alabama and other, you know, the SEC right now. Uh, Florida State hasn't had necessarily had a major presence in that part of the state. I totally agree. Um, here's the other thing. Taggart did not take Keyshawn Helton to sign Darius Washington. All right. They didn't even know if they wanted Darius Washington until late in the process. Right. And, and he ended up being a, a very good senior year player. Uh, so I, I think that part of the premise of the question is off. Okay. They took Keyshawn Elton because they, they saw what they had on film and they said, damn, this kid can be a pretty good slot receiver for us. And I, I think that they still believe that you're not going to pipeline IMG. I, you're really not going to pipeline Coquit County because it's, it's in another state. And, like, you can't tell me, oh, we got Coke County pipelined. Yeah, maybe when Pruitt was at Tennessee and Rush Probst was actually at Coke County, you know, then maybe you would have a chance because, of obviously, they, they're pretty tight and they were on the same high school staff together. And stick as thieves and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, you're, you're not going to pipeline Coke County. There's just no chance. Yeah, you, I mean, you've got – you do – it is in another state. You have the, the – um, Proximity in your favor as far as geographic proximity and the ability to get to kids. But uh, we've talked about this before. It's not equidistant uh, to Auburn, but it's not like you're the only school that that can sell proximity. And that part of the state does have a a slight Florida State 
favorability to it, but it's still all UGA uh, down there. Uh, it's 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 very Georgia heavy and not necessarily easy grounds for you to go in and uh, establish said pipeline. All right. Uh, so we have one more on the questions thing, and then we've got a couple of buyer sales to hit, and then we're out of here. All right. Man, this hour has flown by. Kelly asks, if I'm Willie Taggart, and I know that a few big-time recruits, especially in the trenches, could feel glaring holes on my roster and could get me a second contract at my dream job, then I'm going to almost personally drop some bags to make sure it gets done. <laughs> if you were Willie right now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how dedicated would you be to, quote, dropping bags to ensure your roster gets impact players? We would see some Laramie Tunzel-type Tunzel recruitments in Tallahassee if it were me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Kelly? Willie dropped a million on the on the uh, football only yeah. facility. If I were him, I'd be investing some other type of insurance as well. That's it, it, it's a ten for me. All right. Now it may not be dropping huge bags, but it look. If I can't trust my boosters to get it done or whomever to get it done, then I'm gonna. I got to personally get it done. I don't want to see any transportation issues coming up. Right. No rides. <laughs> Are going to fall through if Coach Elliott's there. All right, none. We have the most dependable ride. Everybody, <laughs> nobody's we, we, no. There hadn't had a parent whose car's broken down yet under Coach Elliott. Absolutely. I, I'm going to have like a fleet of Honda Accords, <laughs> right? For unofficial now, official visits is different. Like we're, we're, we're flying to those, but unofficial visits, we're going. It's gassed up. It's good mileage. It, it's you know good good. We're going to have side airbags, right? In case you get tapped on 75 or something like that. We're we're going to get there. And we're going to be dependable. We're going to leave on time. We're going to, we're, it, you got to do it. Got to find a way. And uh, programs who win find a way in that way to get the money to people to drive the kids to campus and to get them to sign. There's no, no better answer out there than that one. I won't even attempt it. I'm sorry. Right. Like it, it's, <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't sugarcoat it, right? Like you got you to pay if you want to play. You got to pay. Absolutely. And, and now, those, usually it's not the head coach paying. Yeah, right, no, I'm you don't really want the head coach paying either, but uh, you know, sometimes Possible desperate measures. would be good. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And I, I love your parentheses, Kelly, especially in the trenches. I'm, I'm right there with you. Let's, uh, let's start winning some of these battles along the line of scrimmage. Uh, you would have to dig a trench, trench to hide all that money I'm going to give you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, buy or sell. This is a this is a good one here. From uh, Titan leads us off. Buy or sell. Last month's Bleacher Report article was more of an attempt to dampen the effects of negative recruiting than a hit piece on Jimbo. So, is the crux of this question getting at the idea that uh, that Florida State set this article up? It sounds like somebody the that this is an insinuation that somebody called in a favor. Yeah. Um. Then I'm going to sell, although I do think it had that impact. I don't think this was necessarily like a favor, but I do think this was an opportunity for Florida State to to sell their side of the story to somebody that would listen to it and give access, again, like I said last week or two weeks ago, give access at a level that hadn't been given to other people not necessarily that you get to control the content because you don't, but maybe you have an idea as to the direction where the content's going. And uh, I don't think this was a, a, fear, a pure, you know, do this, do that type of deal uh, with a with a writer. But I I 
I, I won't buy it, but I won't really sell it either. How's how's that for in- incredible ambiguity and just not answering a question whatsoever? Uh, I, I think that's okay. I just I the only reason of, I sold there, it was there's a lot of gray in this tent. one. Yeah, there, there is. Yeah, there definitely is. All right, uh, Logan asks: FSU fans will be able to enjoy September this year by or sell? Uh, does enjoy mean not suffer a loss? I. How about have a winning record? Okay. Winning record? Uh, yeah, I'll buy a winning record. I will as well. I'm, I'm going to buy. Bonus, September and October. <laughs> Damn. Logan's just trying to get us to say negative stuff. And I I, what's, I, I I know what they're scheduled by heart, but I'm just trying to think how it breaks down by month. Yeah, uh, just pulling it up as well. So, um, okay. yeah, you'll get you get the last day of August, and then your eh, NC State's the last game. Okay, so your September consists of uh, La Monroe, trip to Charlottesville, hosting Louisville, and hosting NC State. I'm going to buy September. Uh, your October is yeah. We don't even we don't even bye week. To. Clemson, mm-hmm. Wake Forest, Syracuse. Well. I, I mean, if, if, you've, if it's if a winning you've, record, yeah, I'm if you've buy. calloused yourself to a level to just not even, not even feel Clemson, I, I think October could be okay. Absolutely, um, you know, and you could you could take a nice trip to the lake or, or to the mountains or something in uh, during the bye week, and then be like, hey, well, we are losing by seventy to Clemson. This is disturbing, but I did have a great time last week, so. You know, still still enjoying that. Maybe I'm just trying to get caught up on a work after my trip, and I just missed the game entirely. Yeah, yeah. October October's not so bad. Uh, Slide into the end there. November, uh, Miami travel to Boston College, host Alabama State, and a trip to Gainesville on the last uh, last day of the month. Well, you, you get one gimme. So winning record here though is three and one. It's not two and two. No. Tough tough month, unfortunately. I might buy, but man, I I, I think I agree. Two and two is more likely than three and one there. That was cool by herself. I like that. Uh this one is I did not put the person's name on this, so I apologize. Um James Blackman is the best quarterback in the state this season. Uh I've got I love James, but I'm probably gonna have to sell this one. Are you selling it because Franks, or because uh, you think Tate Martell is is the next next dude? No, I'm just, I'm. I, it's not even so much uh, what other people have. I, I just don't have the confidence to think that Blackman's going to perform at a level where we're having him in that conversation. I think I agree, and I just don't think they're going to be able to block for him in order to you know set him up to be the best quarterback in the state. Yeah. Uh, so I'll sell. Dustin says. By herself, uh, Kentucky ends with, <laughs> ends up with a higher 2020 recruiting class than Florida State. By the way, if you sell, you are wrong, he says. Uh, well, I I guess I got to be wrong on this one. Uh, I, I do not think that Kentucky is going to have a higher rated recruiting class than Florida State. Their, uh, their current class is 22nd. They have uh, three blue chip commits. Florida State has eight. So, yeah, I'm going to sell on that one. You gonna take the risk? You, you, do you have big blue fevering, or what, what do you got? <laughs> no, I'm gonna sell that as well, uh, and hopefully not be too too much of a homer in doing so. I 
I know that some people have a lot of pessimism attached to this staff. Uh, I understand it. Too many, too many reports for my liking of Florida State's being in players' top eights or top tens, uh, and and not enough uh, stories to see that you're really tracking with national prospects. But uh, no, I'm I'm going to sell the idea that Kentucky out recruits Florida State in 2020. Okay. By the way, uh, your Braves. Doing pretty well, man. Yeah, they're doing doing all right. It's been a fifty and thirty five. That's uh, man, they're good. They've had a nice little recent stretch of uh, stretch of form here. So yeah, and and my, and my well, I'm not really a Phillies fan, but our podcast producer Matthew is a Phillies fan, and when they got swept by the Marlins, I was like, oh, good lord, Braves are going to run away with this. This is no good. So, so anyway, uh, Richie Leonard, bud, more likely to sign with Kentucky or Florida State at this point. Ooh, um, that's that's a that's a final buy or sell thrown in from one Ingram. Well, you said Smith sign, here. so I'm going to go ahead and say Florida State. Okay. Simply because I don't I don't think he's going to go to Kentucky, and I really don't think he'll sign with Kentucky. I think he's going to have a pretty good senior year, and I just don't see Kentucky holding on to a player of his caliber, even if they do get him to commit. Anywhere uh, elsewhere that uh, would appear as a possible destination for Leonard? Yeah, it uh, looks like uh, UF or Tennessee. So yeah, not good, I know Tennessee's not good news there Florida State. Yeah, Tennessee made a real um, push, and Florida State. This is something we're going to discuss on the next too. show, too. I want to talk to you about this. Florida State's decision to limit its – summer official visits a lot of criticism going on in that on twitter i think i actually agree with some of that criticism however when we criticize something we like to try and get in the heads of of the staff right and say or just ask them you know either publicly or through back channels why do you do this right what's the thinking on this so for the next episode or the episode after we're going to do that we're going to delve into that a little bit more so I, I do have to imagine there's a method to the madness, right? It's not just random, like, hey, we don't want to do summer officials. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to do a little, little bit of a parlay situation here, and we'll have to see how that turns out. But, uh, I mean, we're, we're at an hour, so we'll save that for the next episode. We want everybody to have a great 4th of July. Thanks for supporting the Oldcast. Be safe out there. Please patronize our sponsors, if you will. And, uh, Max, I have some more T-shirts to mail out tomorrow. Congratulations to uh, – to our new homeowners who I do not have their names in front of me, but uh, awesome.